football quarterback takes a very bad hit. He's sacked, as they say. The tackle was an extreme one, and he is hurt. But he gets up. He's limping, but he makes it back to the huddle. He presses on, and he leads his team to a great victory. So even though he suffered something bad, he, he kept on keeping on, and he is considered the MVP, the most valuable player. A soldier leads his troop against incredible odds. He's actually wounded in the battle, but he won't stop. He continues to fight, and they win the battle, and he is awarded the Medal of Honor because he did not give up. Some of our first responders, policemen and, and firemen and EMTs and others, they rush to the place where danger is. Other people are running away. They're running to the point of danger. They will not be deterred. We call them heroes. All right. All of those kinds of examples and more that we could cite, in, in those kinds of situations and with those kinds of people, we honor them for the very reason that they keep on keeping on, even in the face of hardship and danger, they keep on keeping on. May I suggest to you uh, that we need that same kind of determination spiritually, uh, that even when we face danger, discouragement, we've got to keep on going. We have a great example of that sort of thing in the Apostle Paul. And today we want to look to his example. Notice what is said here in Acts chapter 20, beginning verse 22. Behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. All right, stop there for just a minute. This is something that's in our immediate study in our Wednesday night class on the book of Acts, Paul was talking to the elders at Ephesus. He had a brief meeting with them. He was on his way to Jerusalem. This is the conclusion of the third missionary journey. And he says there, there are real indications that there's going to be trouble when I get back to Jerusalem. Notice he didn't say people were just offering their personal opinions. He said the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. So Paul was absolutely confident there was going to be trouble in Jerusalem. He had no reason to doubt that. But notice he says, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself, that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We want to take that phrase. None of these things move me. We want to consider that and build our lesson around it. We want to allow Paul's example of great commitment and determination, even in the face of trouble, we want to use his example as a motivation for us. So we're going to take that expression, none of these things move me, and try to build our lesson around that. I want to stop here just briefly to thank you all for being here. Uh, we are glad to have this opportunity to come together on this winter morning in Middle Tennessee. Uh, we're blessed to be able to be together. We're glad for the health and the safety that has brought us to this place today. Thanks for being here to be a part of it. And for those who are visiting with us, we are glad that you have come. Please come again every time you have a chance. 
And also know, if you're visiting with us, or for that matter, even if you're a member here, if you're, any question comes up about anything that we're doing, anything that you hear taught, by all means, ask those questions. What we want to do is get our Bibles, open them up, seek out the answer. Uh, we want to do Bible things in Bible ways, have Bible authority for everything we do here at College View. So if you have questions, by all means, ask them. We're glad you came. We thank you for being here this morning. Certainly, the Apostle Paul was a great example of the kind of determination that we're describing here. I mean, there was nothing that could stop him from doing what he felt was his duty to God. And we want to have that same kind of commitment. Let me suggest to you some of the things that Paul worked through. One of the things, obviously, that he worked through was persecution. I think perhaps the first thing that would come to mind when you think about things that might have stopped Paul in his tracks is the horrible persecutions which he suffered. Roger read to us about those just a minute ago. We're going to look at that text a little later in our study. But we know from our studies of Paul's work that he was very much a persecuted person. As we've studied through the book of Acts, in almost every city that he went to, he faced persecution, some of it extreme, uh, some of it with great physical harm to his person. It would have been easy, I think, for Paul to say, okay, okay, that's enough. I, I quit. Uh, I'm not going to do it anymore. Or he might have said, you know, I've got to water this message down a little bit at least. At the very minimum, I've, I've got to tone it down so that people don't get so mad at me. And Paul did none of that. I want to give you just one example of, the, of this kind of determination. Even though persecution was real and intense... This is from, again, our study in the book of Acts, and we'll be referencing Acts quite a bit in, in, in our study this morning. But remember that in the city of Lystra, having stoned Paul, they threw him out of the city. This city where Paul was stoned and left for dead was Lystra. So they stoned him. They took him out of the city. They stoned him, supposing he'd been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, and he rose up and came into the city, and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Okay. So he left and went to Derby. So he, he was stoned at Lystra, assumed to be dead, but he wasn't. The next day he leaves and goes to Derby. But keep reading there. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. All right. He goes back to Lystra, the place where he had been stoned. And also on that return route, he visited Iconium and Antioch, two cities where he had been seriously threatened. His safety was under great risk. Because why? He wanted to do the work of God. He wanted to confirm the souls of, of the disciples. Um, and so, again, I'm, I'm suggesting to you, Paul was not going to stop with persecution. Persecution was not going to prevent him from doing what needed to be done. He would not be moved by persecutions. What about us? Now, again, obviously, this is not just a study about what Paul did. The application is to us. What about us and our willingness if persecution comes our way? We have never known anything close to the kind of persecutions that the Apostle Paul had. I don't know. Those kind of persecutions may be coming our way. I don't know. We can't predict that necessarily. Our, our persecutions typically are of a much milder sort. But are we determined no matter what? 
whether the persecutions are mild or intense, are we determined that we will not be moved, that we will continue to do the will of God no matter what? I think these are relatively uncertain times that we're living in. Can't predict what might come our way, but are you determined? You will not be moved by whatever persecutions might come upon us as the people of God. Paul wouldn't be moved, and we should not either. I would argue that Paul could have been dissuaded because of the disappointing brethren that he had to deal with sometimes. Have you ever been disappointed by some of your own brethren in the Lord's church? I'll tell you, if you say no that, you've never been disappointed by your brother. I want to say, if you've never been disappointed by your brother, you are a rare case. Because we have been, haven't we? And, to be completely honest, I know that I have sometimes been that discouragement to others. And maybe you would acknowledge the same thing. Sometimes our brethren can be discouraging. And that's typically a quite hurtful thing. And, and when you're discouraged by your brethren, you might just kind of throw up your hand and say, what's the use? Why even keep on trying? Well, Paul was discouraged by his brethren. But again, it didn't stop him. It didn't keep him from doing what needed to be done. He was not moved by that sort of thing. I want you to look at an example uh, that comes from the book of Galatians. We could look a lot of places to see that Paul had to deal with some such discouragements quite a lot. Paul had worked hard in the general geographical region called Galatia. In fact, some of those tough persecutions we were talking about earlier happened in the region called Galatia. But then, just about as soon as he left, those brethren that he'd been working so hard and suffering so much for, they fell away. Notice he said in Galatians 1 verse 6, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And he says in chapter 4, Now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known of God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things? I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Paul said, I worked hard there. And, and, but you are abandoning the faith. He said, I fear that my labor was in vain. You have to believe that that probably would have been a very hurtful thing to Paul. Uh, you know, his description might be, I go to these places, I, I work hard, I, I even physically suffer in order to make these things happen. And then as soon as I leave, uh, it's all for nothing and they fall away. Paul could have been discouraged. I think lesser men than Paul would have been discouraged, but he was not. He kept on keeping on, even when he was discouraged by brethren. Talking about discouragements that come from brethren, I want to tell you a worse case. Uh, and that is when people who are close to us in the body of Christ, dear friends, uh, maybe even family members, when they act sinfully and discourage us. It's even worse when it comes from somebody who is close. And Paul dealt with that too. Look at Galatians 2, still in the book of Galatians. He says, when Cephas, we know that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. 
So this wasn't just some random brethren here who have become sinful in their deeds. This was the Apostle Peter. This was Paul's very close working companion, Barnabas. I'll tell you, it hurts worse when people close to you uh, are of that way and discourage you. Have you ever felt that? I have, and my guess is that you have too. When folks close to us let us down, it's especially devastating. But even then, Paul kept on going, and so must we. Paul would say concerning the disappointments that come from brethren, these things don't move me. I'm going to keep doing the will of God. Something else that Paul faced was critics. You know what I mean when I refer to an ad hominem attack. We see that sort of thing. You know, uh, we, we see it in politics, for instance. You can't, you can't argue against the truth that this fellow is speaking. So what you do, instead of trying to deal with the truth that he's speaking, is you attack his person. You attack him personally. You attack the man. Instead, of, you can't deal with, you can't argue against what he's saying, so you attack him personally. That's called an ad hominem attack. And it happens in politics a lot. I'll tell you, it happens in religion too. And Paul certainly suffered that sort of thing. In first, or excuse me, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, Paul says, they say, that is his critics, they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Wow. I think that would be hurtful, don't you? I think that would be hurtful to be criticized by people in that fashion. And Paul could have said, well, I'm just, okay. I'm just going to pull back. I'm going to retreat into my shell. Uh, I'm certainly not going to go deal with those Corinthians anymore. Uh, again, though, to do that would be exactly doing what the critics wanted him to do. They were offering that criticism to try and shut him up, to stop him from proclaiming the truth of God. What was Paul's reaction to all of that sort of thing? Well, he had a mindset described in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 3. With me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. It is the Lord who judges me. And so Paul could face his critics and say, I don't care. Say what you want. I serve the Lord. He's the one that I have to please. I tell you, the critics are still at work with unfair attacks against faithful people of God. The critics are still out there and they're still doing that sort of thing. And we need the mindset that Paul had and we need to react the same way he reacted. He would not be moved by such criticism. Paul was not moved by hardships. Here I want to uh, deal with the kind of tough living conditions that Paul endured. We already talked about the fact that he suffered a lot of persecution. But I'm going to tell you, life back in those days was not so easy. We live in, in the lap of luxury, as they say. We've got everything, don't we? I mean, uh, it's so easy. Uh, our lives are, are, are so comfortable. Uh, when, when you think about, you know, uh, just some of the basic appliances that we all have in our house, you know, a refrigerator to keep our food cold, uh, a microwave oven to make it hot just instantly. For that matter, 
hot and cold running water, a, a flush toilet. I think of if when you just think about the conveniences of life that we enjoy, that would not have been true for people before, and certainly not for Paul. You know, Paul was traveling effectively continuously. Now, we, we just this last week we we mentioned that he stayed, for instance, in the city of Ephesus for about three years, but he was pretty much on the go, traveling, never really at home. Uh, and some of the conditions were really harsh. In that text that Roger read for us earlier, we, we most often reference this passage because it describes some of those really tough physical persecutions that we were talking about earlier. Read it with me again. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I just want you to think about uh, the, the hardships that Paul suffered as he went about preaching the gospel. Again, the, the text very much deals with his persecutions. That's what we usually focus on. I just want you to think for a minute about hunger and thirst. Didn't have food or water to drink, uh, cold, no shelter. Uh, just the physical hardships, let alone the persecutions, just the physical hardships would have worn him down, I think. Would have worn anybody down. But he did not give us give up. And I asked the question, what about us? Uh, it's likely that we'll never face those same kind of things. But... What kind of devotion do we have? Do, can we learn from the kind of devotion that Paul had? He would not be moved even from those kinds of hardships. Paul dealt with some things that might have tempted him, but they didn't, they didn't move him either. And one of the temptations he might have faced was the desire for personal gain. We know that before Paul was converted to Christianity, he was a a powerful and influential Jewish leader. And all in all likelihood, he probably was a fairly prosperous fella uh, in the Jews' religion. He, in fact, spoke of that sort of thing. But he gave that all up. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning verse 7, What things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Uh, so, to his credit, Paul had given up all of that fame and position and probably personal wealth in order to become a Christian. But then, when he was a Christian, he might have been tempted to use his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ to enrich himself, to prosper himself. Um, you know, a lot of preachers do that sort of thing. I was looking the other day at some of the fairly well-known televangelists and their personal wealth. Get this, Joel Osteen is estimated to be worth $40 million. 
But that's not, he's not nearly at the top of the list. Benny Hinn is estimated to be worth $60 million. Pat Robertson, his personal wealth is at $100 million. But those guys are pikers compared to Kenneth Copeland, who's estimated to be worth $750 million. Could you, could you use your position to enrich yourself? You certainly could, couldn't you? But in order to do that, you'd have to, again, water down the message. You'd have to go soft on false teaching. Uh, you'd have to make it easier for people uh, to call themselves Christians. Paul never did that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, he says to those Ephesian elders, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. You're, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. He was never moved by the temptation to enrich himself by his position. Again, I think that's a lesson for us. For preachers in particular who have done so, who have failed to press on because they wanted to ensure their job or to ensure their popularity, uh, Paul was not moved as a preacher for the desire of personal gain. And finally, let me suggest to you that Paul was not moved by the memory of his own past deeds. Uh, Paul wasn't going to let his past, his, his sins, his failings stop him from moving forward in service to God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, You've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. We know that's true, right? We've studied the life of Paul. We know before his conversion, he was, in fact, a or maybe the principal ringleader of the persecution against Christians. And he never forgot that. It was always on his mind to the point that he would say in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so Paul never got over the memory of what he had done. He'd done some horrible things in imprisoning Christians and even giving his vote to put them to death. But that being said, remember his expression in Philippians 3, beginning verse 12. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make, make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what it lies behind and straining forward to that which lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What about you and me? Are, are you discouraged or disappointed by past failures in your life as a Christian? I think all of us would have to say yes. Yes, uh, I know I've failed. I, I have not always been the person that God wants me to be. What's your reaction? What's going to be your reaction to that? I have known, maybe you have known, some who were Christians who just gave up because they couldn't get past the knowledge of what they'd done in their past. Paul didn't give up. In fact, I'm really impressed by his expression. He was straining forward, and that's what we need to do. That's the idea of pressing on and not being deterred. So Paul's determination and his dedication is a great example for us all. And it allowed him to say in some of the very final words that he penned by inspiration, 
It allowed him to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Isn't that something that he could speak with that kind of confidence? We can too. At the end of life, hopefully we will be able to have that sort of confidence. But if, if that happens, it will happen because we, like the Apostle Paul, would not be moved by anything. Nothing could keep us from pursuing our faithful service to God. What about you? Are you one who has that kind of determination? Uh, or do you have to admit that in actuality I have not been keeping on I've allowed some things to to distract me, to deter me, to keep me from being the servant that God wants me to be. If that's the case, Christian, if you realize that you have not been what you need to be, we beg you to come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer, and we'd be more than glad to pray with you and for you so that you could leave this place this morning once again in a right relationship with God, doing His will. If you're not yet a Christian, we also would extend this opportunity to... Obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If you understand that and you're ready to respond, we'd be anxious to help you.